Thank you for tuning in to Kineticast. I'm your host, Bo Sauls. Today, we have Doctor of PT from the Dallas Stars, Nick Andreas, joining us to tell us about their process when it comes to baselining their athletes and the healthcare provided to the Stars. I met Nick through the CEO of EliteX360, Shane Scott, who got us connected because the Stars are currently looking at using the technology to add in with their current process. Baselining biometrics and biomechanics of athletes can help us understand how athletes got hurt a little bit easier, but also can help us recognize differences in movement patterns post-injury. For more information about Kineticense, go to www.kineticense.com where you can book your free online demo. Let's go ahead and start episode 24, the Dallas Stars Healthcare and Baselining Process with Dr. Nick Andreas. All right, guys, we have a cool episode today. I'd like to introduce Nick Andreas, the PT for the Dallas Stars and assistant strength coach. Nick, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, this is the second try at this. Um, <laughs> everything shut down on the first one. I now travel with multiple computers, as you get to see. Um, but why don't you go ahead and tell everyone how you got to be here, how you got to be a part of the Stars, and your whole path to coming. Okay. Um, so my path into the PT journey goes back to high school. I played high school sports, um, basketball and football, and had my fair run of um, injuries, nothing long-term, but still had to spend time in a PT gym. I feel like that's where most people find out that they want to go into physical therapy or chiropractic is from visiting it um, at a young age. Um, So that's kind of what started the uh, desire in me to pursue that. Uh, Played college football, was fairly lucky in that I didn't have many injuries and didn't have stayed away from the physical therapist which was you know for most athletes to understand that's a good thing yeah. um, and then I went into PT school at the the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and then uh, upon completion um, some of just may not know this but after you finish physical therapy school you can start working or you can go into specialty training so I did a sports physical therapy residency at UT Southwestern um, which was basically split time between a clinical um, setting, sideline coverage, and then the main draw obviously was working with the Dallas Stars, um, you know, providing rehab services for them. Uh, and during that year, I made just a good relationship with the uh, athletic trainers and the strength staff. And basically, I always tell everyone I didn't mess up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they were like, hey, do you want to come back as a, as a contracting role? So after I finished the residency, I worked uh, in a clinical TMI sports medicine Um, in Arlington, Texas, uh, which um, was great because I feel like the clinical side is so important to be able to treat athletes. Athletes are, they are humans, they they, uh, go through the same struggle, stress uh, that the general population does. So getting to see that firsthand in a non-athletic population, um, understanding how to treat biopsychosocial, you know, made me better at what I do with the team. Um, So I worked there for uh, three years, and during those three years, I worked contract for the Stars, just providing services, you know, three to five times a week. Um, and then this past year, I was uh, hired on full time, um, which has been a great experience. And then c- coming with that, I got the the add-on title of assistant strength coach, um, which has been great. So I've been able to see kind of both sides of the the coin. I've seen the rehab side, the strength and conditioning side, and then I feel like most of us in the movement world. You know, we have a background in both and we're able to kind yeah. of bridge that gap. And I feel like if you want to treat athletes or treat in the orthopedic and sports world, you kind of have to have a grasp on both because, you know, at a certain point it starts to blend and it's like, where, does, where does rehab end and where does strength conditioning start? Correct. 
I so. completely agree. We actually, as a, a girl, Alex from Kinetisense, she's a strength and conditioning coach, and mm-hmm. I come in as the functional movement guy, right? Yeah. And we come in and we talk about stuff all the time because you get to that certain level and it's, now I'm training them the exact same way I'm training someone else because yeah. you have to load that leg. You have to work on that core stability. Yeah. All the stuff that you kind of get into with what you also mentioned, uh, the general population and athlete. I love that you said that. I preach this all the time. Functional movement analysis isn't just for athletes. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that you're just doing this because it's an athlete, mm-hmm. but it's a human. Humans mm-hmm. are supposed to move well. Humans are the ones that move like that. So 100%. awesome nail on that. And then Mayo Clinic, that's a really cool place to go to PT school. That's, that's, that's a yeah, great way to start. It's, it's great. Uh, it's extremely cold um, in the winters <laughs> and you don't spend much time outside. Um, but the, the school was awesome. I met uh, so many great colleagues there, um, not only just in the PT realm, but physicians and uh, nurse practitioners. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it was lucky enough that I'm originally from Minnesota, so it was only about three and a half hours from home. But uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Don't get to go back there much. Um, and it's not really a tourist destination, hopefully. Really? Well, unless you're in the, you know, it's a medical tourist destination. Right, that's so hopefully you're not visiting there. <laughs> you're, you're only touring there if you've got an issue. Yeah. Um, now you said it was uh, kind of cold. Man, I went from South Texas to Alberta, Canada. And when you go to Canada from Texas, that is like the shock, man. I, mm-hmm. I am warm blooded. I do not spend my time there. I got hit the first time I had to take snow off the top of my car. That was an eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that people had to brush their cars before they went to work and stuff. So yeah. well, up there, use your remote to start to warm your car. Here, we <laughs> use our remote to start to start the air conditioning. That's right. That's right. And then like where everyone's complaining about how cold it is and everything mm-hmm. like that. I'm like, you don't need a seat heater in Texas. You no. need a seat heater in the north. For sure, 100%. All right. So you talked about that. Uh, we talked about the mail, and then you came down to sort of working uh, with the stars. So you, you, you didn't get. You didn't get the full time because you just didn't mess up, man. You did a good job. Like the, that's a that's a high level like team. You're not you're not dealing with some rookies or any individuals that aren't experienced. Like they looked at you and they saw potential and what you could do for their team. So first off, I'll I'll nip that one in the butt and say you got hired for that reason. So let's kind of get into your day to day. What does a, d- a daily routine look like for you? Um, so I mean, it's it's ever changing, ever evolving, kind of depending on the the season. Um, you know, the time of the season, depending on injury status, um, I kind of break it down because my wife always asks me, what's today look like? I'm like, I'm not sure. Um, but basically I kind of break it down into we have our practice days, we have our game days, and we have our off days. We kind of throw them into those types of days instead of a Sunday to Sunday schedule. It's okay, is it a practice day? So on a practice day, you know, we practice for an hour. Players are probably here an hour and a half, two hours before. Um, so we're staff, we get here an hour before that, just being available for the athletes. Right. Um, if we have someone who's rehabbing, then I know what I'm doing for that day. Um, you know, if we don't have anyone who's rehabbing from an injury, you know, you just kind of wait and see what happens. Um, we're a veteran team, so there, you know, um, there's a lot more aches and pains as you get older, I'm sure. <laughs> so, you know, some yeah. of your listeners can appreciate that. So, you know, you have guys that want manual therapy, whether it's manipulation, soft tissue, um, dry needling. Um, so I may do any number of those things here today. And, um, and it's basically just trying to prep them for going on the ice. Yeah. Um, depending on the way the game schedule lays out, we may do some uh, testing in that time. So our in-season testing, we do um, counter movement jump. Um, on force plates, we use Hawken Dynamics force plates, um, and then we also do a drop jump, which is our way of measuring um, athlete readiness and fatigue. Um, and we use those measures. I would say probably do a counter movement jump one to two times a month and a drop jump two to three times a month. 
Um, and so I've become more involved on that side when I don't have anyone that's rehabbing. So getting more, I don't know, I always used to think sports science was kind of a, kind of, not a joke, but I was like, eh, is it really necessary? And then now actually, like, do you right. the numbers? You're like, oh, this, this is, is why, why we you, do that. Yep. This is why you have, like, two or three people who look at all this stuff all yeah, the time. For sure. Um, so, so that's kind of leading up to pre-practice. During practice, it's more so we have athletic trainers on staff, so I'm not really um, involved in having to watch the ice by any means. Um, and then same thing, you're just kind of available to the, um, the players as they come off. You may, you know, they may need soft tissue, they may need uh, manipulation, whatever, whatever they're kind of um, um, dealing with. So, um, so that's a typical kind of practice day. And then game days are always a little bit different because sometimes we'll do a morning skate, which um, is the day of the game. So it's usually mm, 20 to 40 minutes, depending on coaches, um, depending on what we need to work on. Um, kind of like your walkthrough for a football. Right. Um, and then guys will come back, you know, three, four hours before the game. Um, and during that time, again, it's all just, I feel like my job is more so just trying to get athletes ready to, to perform in whatever capacity that may be, whether that's the, the movement stuff and activation and, you know, teaching them how to go through, okay, you start with your, your slow stretching, mobility right. work, then building to muscle activation, to your plyometric, you know, so it could be that gamut. Um, or like I said, it could just be, you know, stretching a guy. It could be, you know, helping a guy, um, you know, tape an ankle or something like Individual that. Individual case by case. Yeah, ex much, right? exactly. So, um, so that's kind of what a game day looks like. And then during games, um, my role is more so looking at video. We basically in our training room, we have a office that has uh, all the cameras that are taping the game. Um, and I'm basically kind of there wa waiting and hopefully not actually being used, but basically I'm there if someone gets hurt. So, right. And then I you know, relay that message to the doctors of like, hey, he took a valgus moment to his knee, you yep. may want to check left knee, um, or this person took a hit to the head, you know, may want to talk to them when, when they come off the ice. Right. Um, so just providing the, I don't know if you want to say the eyes and the skies to the yeah. medical staff is what my role is during the game. And then post-game is similar in the role of just whatever, you know, whatever the athlete may need. So you have to watch hockey? Yeah. I'm just kidding. Now. <laughs> that's, that's MLI, though, right? Like that's how that's how you see. Like that's that's the compensation. That's what the injury was. That's if there was mm -hmm. rotation in the in the injury with with the valgus mm -hmm. collapse, whatever mm -hmm. whatever the issue was on the injury. Mm -hmm. That is super necessary. And that again, one thing that you're talking about too is preparing the body for movement. And that is the biggest thing that I've seen like athletes miss every all the time. Mm -hmm. They'll show up and like I hear someone say this one all the time. A lion doesn't stretch before they attack the gazelle. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not a lion, bro. Like, you're, you're trying to go play a sport. And like you just said, as we start to age, we have different things to our body, our movement patterns change, we have different underlying causes and stuff like that that we have to look at. But if you're not working on your weakest areas or the areas that you need to focus on before you go move, that's putting yourself in a situation to, to get injured or to at least cause something to happen that might not be the best. So. Really cool sure. that you, you take that aspect of it. So have you had to deal with any of those recently? You said that um, you have to be the eyes in the sky. Um, I guess not. I guess there was a couple recently that more uh, that had to do with along like a line of concussions. Yeah. Um, we had a guy come off and uh, told the trainers, like it didn't look anything like when we were watching the video, came off and told the trainers like, hey, like my vision's just a little off. And we go back and look at the, you know, the video and you can see like, okay, yeah, the guy gave him a shoulder back into the head, gets him the jaw, yeah. and he gets a little bit of whiplash movement. Um, and then I had a recent one where a guy um, was cross-checked on the head with a stick and 
That one is pretty obvious. Obvious. There. Oh, that's the one we're going to check. <laughs> yeah, you might want to check him for a concussion. And I think um, the NHL does have mandatory like calls or mandatory um, testing if they right. they have a spotter there, similar to other sports, that'll call down and uh, basically say this person needs to go through the. The concussion protocol, protocol that right. we have set aside. And y'all use BESS? Uh, uh, so we use, use the, the SCAT, uh, which I believe it's up to the fifth edition. Um, and we have our we have a primary care sports medicine physician that um, takes care of that. Cool. Uh, and then kind of makes the decision based upon um, his testing. Can they go back um, or are they or do they out and call it, and they call it a concussion? I like that you have that very, uh, an individual that take care takes care of that too, right? Like that's their main job. That's mm-hmm. what they do. Their job is to identify concussion, not work with everything else. Like we're all pretty good at like we we've done this before. We've done concussion mm-hmm. and we've seen concussion. We've worked on concussion mm-hmm. symptoms, all that stuff we've identified. Mm-hmm. But for that person that specifically does that job, mm-hmm. then they're going to be the ones that are really really good at highlighting that minor whiplash that could mm-hmm. be causing the uh, symptoms of concussion yeah. and everything that you have. And one thing I've started to notice more so in the professional realm is um, you want to have, try to have as many specialists as you can. Like when you're when you're dealing with millions of dollars of contract for this athlete. Like for they, one athlete. For one athlete. <laughs> they they want to make sure that they're getting the best treatment that they can. Right. And you're doing a disservice to that athlete if they're not seeing a specialist of some sort. Um, so even within our medical staff, I mean, we have you know, multiple physicians, but even within like our training staff, there are certain things like one of our trainers is, is great at the education side, the kind of the um, communication with the athletes and builds a good rapport. And then I feel like I have a good exercise movement background. And right. then like our strength coach is obviously great at, um, you, know, you know, how to implement training during the season when there are the rigors of the season. And so, you know, we have all these different specialties within our, you know, our group. And I think that helps provide a, you know, well-rounded, um, sports medicine experience for our athletes and that's definitely the shift of time too because 20 years ago it's not like that like 20 years ago we had this is the number one guy this mm-hmm. is the guy he does everything the best or girl excuse yeah. me or female like right we have that one person that is the person that does everything which mm-hmm. now we know like you can be good at a lot of things or the best at a, the best at one or two things and mm-hmm. that's like, that's what you're going after and i love that too mm-hmm. so let's keep moving um so do you travel with the team um so i I've traveled in the preseason and I've traveled in the past with them. Um, this season I have not had to um, travel, which I'm kind of grateful for. Uh, I, I, the rest of our staff um, gets in like tonight. Like they play a game in New York. They play at 7 o'clock Eastern time. They'll finish the game probably 9, 9.30, depending on how quick the game is. They probably won't get onto the plane until 11 o'clock. They land at one o'clock in Dallas right. and then they still have to come here and unload all their trunks and all those things so I have a profound respect for them <laughs> and their ability and smile to go on your face to yeah. not be going <laughs> yeah so I try to do I try to make everything as easy as possible when they're gone so when they come back and just okay throw the trunks away or they're ready to um, come back come in the next day and not have to worry about filling refrigerators or you know little things like that um, in the postseason I'll travel just because we try to keep everything a little bit more um, in-house and a little bit more under wraps um, right. and as you've sure seen in the hockey world we say lower body injury upper body injury we try to keep it even tighter in the, in the postseason right. um, but uh, uh, in my experience from a from a travel perspective is it's it's a it's a grind and you can see it kind of wear on the the staff and the players as the years um, as the year goes on um, and that's where you know our strength coach does a great job of providing you know recovery modalities looking at into sleep how to help guys sleep good um, at night, which we know is huge from a recovery standpoint, recovery, stress yeah. standpoint, 
him. You, know, you start to leave. We haven't used any of the, the trackers yet. Um, I feel like that's in, we found that that's individual dependent. You know, we will we'll give Omega Waves um, or the Morpheus Strap, trying to track HRV and things like that. And there's a few guys that like that. Um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the travel is a grind for those guys. Well, plus, you have a daughter too, right? <laughs> like that's that's got to be one of the primary ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few times you wouldn't mind getting on the road because you're like, I've been around. <laughs> she's, she's sleeping. She's not sleeping. That's because you have a young daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah you never right. know. Like my, so I'm traveling to Vegas here for Parker seminars, and yeah. uh, my wife, I was like, man, I just. I really just don't want to be away from Gracie for this amount of time. Mm-hmm. My wife goes, well, you're going to get some good sleep while you're gone. And I that's, started laughing and I was like, that's true. That's true. That's, that's the key there. So, um, so you do, tra- don't do travel as much, but travel more postseason. But, um, do you work with athletes still while you're here, not traveling or what's, what's that look like? Uh, yeah. So I still keep a few clients from the, the clinic that I've worked with, uh, worked with a few baseball players, basketball players. Um, you helped me test the, the one athlete. Um, so I still try to, you know, stay stay up on that side of things um i will say working in a clinic you see the the kind of the the, i wouldn't say the cutting edge but the newer techniques and new things that are out there um just because of the volume of people that are going to the clinic our our sports med doc um is a orthopedic surgeon i worked with him for three years and he was always i wouldn't say he was you know, he was always doing some interesting procedures that and now I've started to see, okay, some athletes are going for these certain stem cell injections or these certain procedures. And right. you, you have an understanding of, okay, what does that rehab look like versus, okay, this is the first time this athlete, I've ever seen an athlete with this injury. Like that doesn't really instill hope in them and you no, like, trust in you. And a million dollar um, athlete again, right? Exactly. So being familiar with that process and what that looks like is I think uh, pretty important. So that's why I try to stay up on the clinical side and, um, you know, and there's, there's, you know, you, you treat the, the general population as well as athletes. And, um, you know, I feel like everyone's working towards some sort of goal. And as yeah. long as you're motivated to get back to something, I'd like to help you do that. Um, yeah. So what are some of the common injuries you treat then? Um, my, my most common injury, and this, again, probably speaks to the um, clinic that I worked at. Uh, I'm a big hip, lumbopelvic um, person. Um, I saw a lot of patients with FAI. Um, and I saw a lot of patients post-op FAI, and one of the most lead, one of the leading sports in the FAI diagnosis, hockey, soccer, yeah. hockey, lacrosse, kind of those rotational um, sports. Uh, so that's one thing I've kind of developed a passion for. And then through that, you know, I've had to dig into okay, it's you know, sports hernia, which we don't call sports hernia anymore, more <laughs> core muscle injuries, the name of it. Um, so those are kind of the 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 diagnosis and the. Um, area that I like to, to, to treat. I think it's kind of complex, which yeah, kind of challenges definitely. me a little bit. I'm um, not to say that, you know, knee isn't or shoulder isn't by any means, but um, I think once you start looking at mechanics of, you know, the lumbo-pelvic complex, it yeah. kind of, you know, makes it a little well, bit. Different different types of joints that all work as a yeah. unit, but that all work differently exactly. and separately. You, yeah. Exactly. And you can make big changes in someone's hip pain by working on lumbo-pelvic, um, yep. you know, their lumbo-pelvic awareness and their lumbo-pelvic position. Um, so, and you know, vice versa, someone with, you know, back pain, you can start make big changes when you start going to their hip. Um, so do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah. No. So that's, that's kind of how I am too. Like, um, I came from a different background. I came from rehab. I was, a, I did rehab for three and a half, four years mm-hmm. with acute injuries in the population, uh, yeah. with a myofascial specialist. So that's where I kind of took it. And then I went to Cairo school, which, you know, mm-hmm. like you have pretty much two sides of Cairo. You have a philosophy based and you mm-hmm. have more of a biomechanics based. Yeah. And, 
because of where I came from, I went more biomechanics, probably why you and I get along really well. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the issue there was like, we, the way we looked at people, it wasn't like, okay, so your hip hurts here, you have anterior hip pain. Mm-hmm. We're not saying we're just gonna beat up that anterior hip until it feels better. Mm-hmm. What's causing the anterior hip pain? That's what you're talking about with the complexity of the, the lumbopelvic region. I mean, mm-hmm. you mentioned the sport, but like hockey, that's a lot of single leg stuff there. And yeah. that single leg's a lot of stress, yeah. so. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, we see a lot, I mean, our most common I guess, injury would be adductor, I don't want to say adductor strains because we haven't had many of those, and I think it's just because we know the literature says, um, you know, the biggest uh, issue with that is weakness, and mm-hmm. so if you can, you know, obviously put someone on an adductor strengthening program, um, they're going to re- reduce their risk. Um, so we, you know, we incorporate that in our activation, like we talked about earlier. We make sure that guys are, you know, doing those exercises because those aren't the the glitzy, glammy exercises right. by any means, and it's, you know, like it's not my, it's not my quads, it's not my hamstrings, so why am I doing it? Yeah. Um, so we, we do put a precedence on um, on our adductor strengthening. Um, that's cool. So that's that's big too. Like I mean, you think all these people with medial knee pain that have no idea what's going on, and all this strengthen their adductors a little bit. My knee pain's gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's cool. Um, so baseline screens. We talked about the the data that you gather. You mm-hmm. like to collect data. Um, when we worked with that one athlete, the, uh, that that was that was interesting for me because I got to see how your process, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I mean, I loved seeing the data collection on so many different levels, and that's mm-hmm. that's what you did really well. But um, speaking specifically about hockey. Um, you, you mentioned a lot of the uh, jump testing you mm-hmm. and a lot of leg power. Right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, leg power is going to be important, but you did a lot with a lot of like vertical jump or landing or mm-hmm. single leg. Mm-hmm. That stuff's important, and I see like a lot of different, I'm not going to say PTs, chiros, or anybody that like specifically, but there's just a lot of practitioners that miss, mm-hmm. and they miss that because they look at their sport and think, well, that's not necessarily how I'm going to assess them because it's not a super common movement for hockey players to be going down the ice and just jumping all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just not their most common movement. Mm-hmm. And you test them in this, mm-hmm. and you test their ability. So mm-hmm. you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, I, and I think you know, you know, the the whole sports specificity thing of like, okay, let's test them in a sports specific movement. Um, I would argue, yeah, that's important, but I also think there's just certain foundational movements. Um, and if you're familiar with Greg Cook and he kind of lays down, you know, there's foundational movement is kind of his pyramid and then you kind of get up towards skill. And, you know, some of those, you know, sports specific tests are more of a skill than it is necessarily a foundational Correct. movement. And that's where I feel like, you know, we do the counter movement jump um, and the drop jump vertical, which I think are, you know, they may not necessarily correlate. Um, they do correlate, but they don't necessarily translate to the ice. But we found that, you know, our our best jumpers are you know, people who have the best peak velocity on a counter movement jump are our best skaters. Yeah. Um, so there is there is some you know translation between those two. Um, so that's where I think foundational movement is important um, because if they can't do basic movement patterns, they're not going to, you know, they're going to break down. When you go to dynamic yeah. movement patterns, Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, you, you start to, you know, you go movement first, then you go, you know, the, I think this is getting great cook, but it's movement, volume, then load. So yeah. you, you have to master that component first. Um, and that's where we like the counter movement jump to, to give us feedback on that. And we do it on the force plate, which gives us a lot more than just the, the movement side of things. That's where we, you know, we're... You know, mulling over the kinetosense yep. um, to hopefully then give us that that visual component for more feedback because um, we give we get numbers and we we see left right differences and we see you know changes in you know their eccentric rate of force development um, which again that's where the baseline that we take in training camp is huge um, but I'd also say that for us it's we we try to create a profile that's why we do multiple mm-hmm. you know tests throughout a month because you know that one day they may have, you know 
when we do our you know camp testing they're doing bike rides they're doing pull-up testing they're doing all these other yep. things and they also have their medical physical before that too so there's a lot going on so that's where i think for us it's creating a, a profile it's like the baseline is important but also then getting you know multiple data points throughout yes. that process i think is huge you know like i said it's it's you know you do the even the kinetic screen you do it one day and then you just you know, stress and yep. bad sleep and all those things are yep. you know, playing a role. Depending the next on the load you take of the it. workout. Yeah. Exactly. So I think you know finding, okay, this is their, their normal. This is their average. Okay, they're a standard deviation, a half off their average. Okay, what's up? Yep. You know? um, so that's where we use the assessments. Um, and we don't use it punitively. It's you know, getting feedback on, okay, how are our programs running? Yep. Um, how are our athletes responding to, you know, they've, they had five games in eight days. How are they responding to that? Um, is there any functional fatigue? Like, you <clears> have <throat> that fatigue factor, like, not just saying CNS, not just saying, like, muscular. Mm -hmm. That's what people, I think that's the biggest issue for me when the, we come to fatigue is people want to separate one system out of the body and say, this is the fatigue factor. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, the, the, it's, they're fatiguing as a unit. Yes, that one mm -hmm. side might be slightly more fatigued, yeah. but they have fatigued as a unit. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the key, and I think that's what you're kind of... Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's where I think you know having you know a baseline assessment, but also having multiple multiple assessments along the way, um, and you know athletes and you know the general population they like numbers, they like feedback, they yeah. don't like just to be you know told okay I'm seeing your knee drop into this position, okay I'm just taking your word for it. Yep. Um, so I, li right. I like the the feedback side of things. Um, so that's where we'd like to eventually incorporate some more of the visual um, yeah. stuff, whether it's a kinetosense or a different system. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we use baseline assessments. And see, I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit too. Like whenever, whenever I'm in the clinic, it's not like my patient comes to me and I just use cams and I'm like, all right, I know where to treat you. Yeah. Like, that's not what I'm doing, right? Yeah. So we use that. We, I baseline their overall movement patterns. Mm -hmm. I find areas that they need to work on. And then I'm doing other, other testing with them too. Like we have a mm -hmm. squat rack in there for loaded versus unloaded. We have yeah. a bunch of different stuff that we use. And the, the point of that is like you said, we need to collect multiple data points. Yeah. We have all these data points. And then once we start to compile things, then you're doing tracking of progression and regression. Mm -hmm. Let's find where they progress and regress. So I actually just made a video of a guy. Um, he's an MD here in Dallas. He came in and seen he's got this hip injury. And um, it's it's gracilis, but like, like but so I'm talking to him about some stuff and we're, we work on it a little bit. And we got him out of the hip injury. Well, then our goal was to use the kineticent system with cams and use the graphical tracking to show him his improvement in different areas. Mm -hmm. Well, after his visit, he was down at like a 43%. And then we get him up, we improved him. And then we started working on improvement with wellness. Well, he comes in and then one day he's dipped. I'm like, all right, man, what's going on? Overall, you were doing really, really well, increasing, 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 mm -hmm. and we just dropped about 5%. It's not something I'm worried about, but what's going mm -hmm. on? And he said, well, I haven't been doing my rehab. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, well, you need to pick that up. Yeah. <laughs> so he comes yeah. back in the next time, and he's dipped again. Mm -hmm. And I say, what's going on, man? You've, you've, uh, you've dipped again, and we talked about doing it. He says, well, I haven't done my rehab, and I haven't been to the gym. Next time he comes in, he comes in with a new hip injury. And what we found is I rescreened him. He's actually at the exact same point he was when his previous hip injury. He's lost mm -hmm. all the gains. Mm -hmm. And right before we had that, he lost core stability and lower extremity power. Mm -hmm. Those are the two. And if you look at lower extremity power and core stability, yeah. right in between. between. Yep. So that's the stuff where it wasn't necessarily, like, it was good for me because I was telling him, using the data to show him and, like, mm -hmm. building that in him. But afterwards, after he saw that and he saw his data go up and down and saw that injury, he was like, man, I get it. Yeah. I'm... I'm gonna do my job now. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about, that visual key, that visual mm -hmm. feedback to people, that's it's, what he gets now, yeah. right? It, it's, it's huge and 
Um, I'd also, you know, kind of like you where you have the multiple data points. And I think the, the data should, you know, you have a good enough relationship with your athletes and with your, your patients is it should almost kind of confirm what they're telling you. And that's kind of what we use, especially when we do like our drop jump and we're getting athlete readiness and fatigue is we have conversations. We have a good relationship with our athletes to know, okay, you know, how are you feeling? Like, you know, what, you know is there something kind of going wrong? And, you know, there's some older guys are a little bit more stoic about their, their ways. And right. I'm sure that middle-aged gentleman was probably, <laughs> you know, I'm just guessing his age based upon his, you know, in a, uh, Nailed it. Un- unwillingness, <laughs> unwillingness to do his exercises, yeah. which, um, but anyway, I feel like it's, again, it's not punitive. It's, it's just to cr- either, you know, add more evidence to what they've already told you. And then you present that to the coaches. You present that to whoever. And be like, hey, okay, let's let's make some changes here. Yep. Um, and it's, and I think that's where athletes, you know, with all these athlete, uh, this tracking and all this data and everything is like they see it as it's going to be somehow be punitive and used against them. Yeah. So making sure that you explain to them, this is just something. I'm not I'm not trying to show you. I'm not trying to be you know your mom or dad like crack the whip of like you got to do these exercises. But um, again, it's just trying to. You know, make sure that what you're telling me is what I'm seeing with the numbers, and the numbers usually match up pretty close with it with each other. Um, so I think that's one thing that we've done a disservice to our athletes. Like, okay, we're gonna test, 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 but that explanation and then the feedback of like, okay, this is why we're testing it yeah. because of this injury side. Um, you can also show them like how it affects other areas of their life because people all the time they're like, oh, I just have this hip injury when I do this. Mm-hmm. Like, really? That's the only time you feel it. That's not highly doubt. That's the only time. And it's hard for them. Like, you're trying to get ADLs or trying to get, like, I want to see what when you can't do what you normally do and why you're here to see me. Like, what's the, the issues that affect your life the most? And they have a hard time explaining that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, if I take you through multiple movements and then I say, don't you do this and this? And they're like, yeah, I do. I do that when I play tennis. I'm like, well, does that hurt you in tennis? They're like, it does. Well, there you go. There's the change in another one right there. So I think, again, you're talking about the education portion. That's Mm -hmm. where we get it, right? Let's let's use the data to educate and Mm -hmm. just just track along the along the way. It's it's Mm -hmm. really it is for the benefit of the athlete. But Mm -hmm. like you said, we can measure everything. This is 2020. Mm -hmm. We can measure everything. We can. I mean, there's there's tech for everything out there. It's just really finding what we find to be the most viable and the most like. Uh, to me, I think if I take someone like as a, in a clinical mindset, if I have someone come to me with an injury, yeah, I want to get their injury better, but I'm looking at them in 10 years down the road. How are they moving down the road? Are they this? I don't, I don't. I do care about the injury. I don't care about that. I want them to be moving in a better way. I want them to be healthier, like being able to do whatever they want, lifting their grandkids above their head. Yeah. That's what matters. Not not if you score like a 72 versus a 78 on something like mm-hmm. it matters to you now because you're very much looking at numbers yeah but this is us just seeing where your deficits are and mm-hmm. i think that if we can get people focused on their just the areas that they could work on just to improve some because mm-hmm. that's just where they're not good yeah then we'll start to see less things exactly. happen and i feel like i mean you're doing your you're doing your patients a service and your i mean yourself because you're prevent not preventing i guess we always say injury prevention that's probably you're you're decreasing their risk of some sort of other injury coming man we got to be so careful with our vocab right now i know I mean, we get we get torn apart if we say that on the mic right now it's not injury yeah. prevention it's risk <laughs> uh, i've seen all the studies i've read the studies yeah. all right <laughs> so um that's good so we've kind of talked about how you utilize the information too um it's not so much to be like hey this is a person's not doing this pull them out it's more to be like, hey, you said here's a shift, here's a change. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are always adapting, they're always changing, so it's good to be able to continue to track that. Mm-hmm. So give me your 
favorite, or not, sorry, I don't want to say favorite, wrong word. Um, give me the most interesting case you've had to deal with so far. From a baseline, like, like assessment? No, like just someone, it's just a, something you've had to take care of that you're like, man, that was weird. Um, let's try to see here. You know, again, when it goes back to hip, um, and this would probably go back to, I've, I've kind of learned from it, but this was probably two, three years ago, um, was a weird case of anterior hip pain. Um, and this was a, I want to say like 25, 26 year old male. Um, this was back in the, I think I said this in the clinic, um, but basically wasn't really responding to normal kind of treatments when it came to, um, uh, like for squatting, like he'd always have pain with deep squatting. And, you know, we looked at his like x-rays um, and like didn't have any cam pincer that's kind of when that was, you know, really prevalent, you know, no hip flexor, you know, tightness or anything like that. Um, and, but would still just have this anterior hip pain with deep squats. And I'm like, you know, I'd flex him up. Like he'd have a little bit of pain at end range flexion, but like 120 degrees, like normal range. Just weird, really weird. And then, so we went through the, the process a little bit and it wasn't until we saw um, our doc went back and basically looked at a lateral view of his pelvis and found that he had this uh, AIS, must have had an avulsion at some point or not a true avulsion, more of like an apophysitis that just kept getting pulled on. Yeah. Um, and basically had a had what's called subspine impingement. Um, and basically it's this overhang of the AIS over the joint. Um, and so anytime he would go into deep flexion or into squats, um, he'd just get this, this pinching pain, which is a hallmark of FAI. But you, like, you, you look at his radiographic um, films, didn't have a cam lesion, like he was under the threshold of 60, 60 degrees, didn't have a pincer, it was just, it was odd. And then we'd like to come to find out that only three cases, or not three cases, 3% of all subspine impingement happens in isolation. Usually it happens in conjunction with yeah. FAI. So um, that was probably the like the, the most challenging case. You're playing in a 3%, that means 97 on the other uh, side, man. I know. So, and, and like I said, I was younger in, in my career and yeah. um, didn't really, hadn't really heard of that diagnosis. No. Um, so hopefully some of your listeners learned a, a new diagnosis or something to be outside. We have a lot of docs that listen. That's, that's, that's primary, our primary like group of listeners is mostly like Kairos PTs. So, yeah. I mean, that's probably very, very beneficial. Yeah. So yeah, there's, and there's, again, there's all, there's subtleties to it. There's, you know, um, after that, it kind of spurred me on this search of, okay, what are the other impingements that happen <laughs> at the hip? And you know, impingement seems to be one of the most common diagnosis, whether it's shoulder, whether it's hip, whether it's ankle. Um, but coming to find out, there was you know, six other ones, I think, four other ones, I think there. You can imagine there, how many uh, <laughs> shoulder impingement diagnoses I have walking into the clinic. And then yeah. we can talk about that side of things, too, where we overdiagnose things. So I yeah. think you kind of mentioned that in the beginning. Um, like, I tell this to patients all the time. You're going to come in with a diagnosis. Unless it's like, a, like an x-ray verified something with a structural change or anything like that. Mm -hmm. If you're coming in with a diagnosis on something that's not torn or something that we're finding on x-ray, then I'm not super worried about the diagnosis as much as I am about the cause of that diagnosis because half the time we get like, okay, so you have, let's say, shoulder impingement. Mm -hmm. Why is the shoulder impinging? Like what's causing the, yeah. what, what's going on with it, right? Like you don't have any like, there's me, no just, bone, yeah. It, to me it doesn't even like, I mean, you give the, the term impingement, it's like, that's not really general. a diagnosis, it's, it's like general. a mechanical diagnosis. Like medial epicondylitis. Yeah. 
like usually I'm gonna be looking at that shoulder and working on some stuff in that shoulder and yeah, mm-hmm. your tissue's inflamed, yeah. itis, but mm-hmm. then like, is that what I'm worried about? Am I gonna give you these heavy anti-inflammatories and I'm gonna go that route on this? Mm-hmm. Or am I gonna see why are you overusing that tissue and what's going on to cause that cause mm-hmm. that medial epicondylitis or whatever whatever it is, right? Yeah. But I mean, you, you hit that earlier, you're like, man, they have these diagnoses, that's just not, I mean, it, it's important and we have different diagnoses, they're very important. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking to the side of where we have people that have these general diagnoses that are coming in and like, man, that's, yeah. I'm watching you move. Of course that hurts. Like mm-hmm. I, I watched you walk in here. You don't, you don't move well. Mm-hmm. And then that's why your knee hurts. That's why your low back is hurting. That's mm-hmm. why it's traveling up to your neck and shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these general things. Like um, I've, I'll tell you on my side, I have some MS patients that are coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing fascial work on these MS patients and we're finding a lot of things that are previous injury that they tell me about from taking a thorough history we take care of this stuff and those issues are gone. And then the MS stuff is popping up because there's their disease, but mm-hmm. just because you have MS doesn't mean everything is caused by MS. Mm-hmm. What is, what isn't. So it makes it hard on practitioners, but dang, it doesn't help. It does help to have some data on the, on one side, you know, sure. you know, you, so. you know that that shoulder's hurting them and it's like, is it MS? Is it not MS? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've never really worked with that population, but I mean, um, I, I look at, you know, my time as a student and, and working with people with Parkinson's, and they, mm-hmm. you know, you almost they they use that diagnosis to, to explain off a lot of other things, like you're mm-hmm. talking about, um, where no, that's just that's completely different. That is a complete orthopedic issue. That mm-hmm. is not necessarily related to the neurodegenerative disease that you're going through. Um, but that's cool. I guess I didn't realize you were seeing those patients. That's, oh uh, man, I see you. Just the, the weirdest thing can walk in your door though. You have to think like I've I've had some weird thing. I'm I had, sure as a private practice owner, like he's get some interesting. Oh, and if you do a Facebook marketing or, ad with like a five to ten mile radius, yeah. imagine that it's whoever's in that radius that yeah. is going to see that ad. Yeah. So then you do one good job, and then you get them the biggest referrals. That person that came to the clinic and did a good job with them. I just don't think I can help you out but, today. You have to yeah. go see Dr. Brennan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I mean, I think I, that, that's what I wanted the listeners to hear. They needed to hear like that how you went through the process, and I know that's going to be very intriguing because you know Stars is a high level team. That's a it's a very well known team. Kineticense is out of Canada, so mm-hmm. hockey is like the number one sport there. Yeah. When I went to Canada, man, that's where I learned hockey. Mm-hmm. I did not know hockey before I went, and I mean, it was I'm trying to watch the NBA playoffs, mm-hmm. and I'm getting yelled at at the sports yeah. bar, even though the Toronto Raptors are playing. They're like, there is hockey. The Oilers are playing right now. And so we have to go watch Edmonton or we have to go watch some other team. That's the opposite here. When I try to go to a sports bar and ask for the Stars game on a Sunday, I get looked at like, wait a minute. Have you heard of the NFL before? (laughs) It's not even when the Cowboys are playing, I still get yelled at. Yep, that's exactly. Well, Nick, thanks for joining us. That was great, man. I really appreciate uh, you talking about everything and everything that you do and sharing that with the listeners. Again, a different viewpoint and great having you today. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate Appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to episode 24 with Dr. Nick Andreas. We talked with Dr. Nick about his normal routine with the stars and what he does with the athletes and the data collection. And I think the major focus is how he said he likes to use the data to help educate the athletes to become better movers to help them become less susceptible to getting hurt. On the next episode, we have CEO of Elitex360, Shane Scott, joining us to talk about how he uses the technology to go out and screen high school and college football teams and provide them with movement data to help reduce the chance of injury in the future. For more information about Kineticense, you can go to www.kineticense.com where you can book your free online demo. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. I'm your host, Bo Sauls, and let's keep learning about movement, performance, and rehab together. <laughs>